Hello and welcome to Sequence Not Required. This is your place to be if you want to find out about the social dancing world and all of the music that goes along with it. Maybe you don't know how to dance. Maybe you want to learn how to dance. If you have no idea about dance, well, it's the same as myself because I haven't a clue. And so this is your journey to come along with me and find out about maybe the steps that are taken in dance, maybe the techniques that are done, all of the events that are used for all all of the social dancers world. I don't know what's going to be in store for this show, but I know it's going to be amazing. And I want you to join me right here. Maybe this is even the place that will spark your nostalgia. It's not, I'd say, a place where you need to bring sequins. No, because sequins are not required. Here on the show today with us on Sequence Not Required, we've got the wonderful Tony Sales. Hello, Tony. How are you? Hello. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thank you, sir. Not too bad. Now, Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? My name is Tony Sales, and I am um, a dance teacher. I teach Brazilian Zouk and um, Ciroc at the moment. Um, I am also currently a student. Um, I've gone back to university to pursue a few courses. We are a little bit of back history about you because i know there's a whole range of musical influences there it's not just going to like uni or college or anything like that there's a there's a big whole range there can you tell us a little bit about that all right my parents are are african so i grew up with a very african background Um, yes both my parents are from ghana um in west africa and such um meant i grew up with a lot of diverse and different music at home i remember having my stepbrother who is 15 years older than I, play highlight, Ghanaian highlight music all the time when I was growing up, whereas my father played a lot of Motown yes. um, music. And then my mother had the usual Anita Baker sort of music also playing. So that then forced me into a very diverse sort of scope, or, or should I say, um, I usually say privilege of music because I do not think everyone has that privilege to be able to enjoy as much diversity in taste and preferences of music coming from your family members as I did. And I guess that culminated in this fusion in my head where my playlist on Spotify is made up of so, so many different diverse, diverse music. Dancing for me, it was really strange when I grew up and I had to classify dancing as an I do this or I do that, be it hip hop or contemporary um, and so on and so forth. Because for me growing up, it was just dancing. That is how prevalent dancing was in my community or, or in my home or whenever we were in Ghana. That was dancing. Dancing was what you just saw in the street corners people did not need a reason to dance once they had music you could literally go to a very busy market and then you have a taxi rag you usually have like special taxi rag very colorful Yes. Um, 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 taxis and you go to a taxi rank and then you have um, a taxi driver blowing music from, from his car <laughs> and you just see people dancing. Like they literally do not have, they, they, they do not need any excuse to dance. That's so cool. And I would, yeah, I would like to think that sort of background is infused in my background. And I, and hence I started dancing as, God, for as long as I can remember, as long as I can visibly remember. There was no point in my life when I wasn't dancing. I think for for us, if you grew up watching hip hop at an early age, that became sort of your your first entrance or your first um, um, encounter to dancing. So that's the sort of hip hop style dancing that we call street dancing. We didn't call it hip hop or street. We just called it dancing. Yes. You know, at four or five years old, that was just what dancing was. And then as I grew older, just before teenage, I started doing ballet and contemporary dancing because um, I needed something a little bit more structured. So I then journeyed that path. And very, very coincidentally, uh, it was not planned whatsoever. I discovered um, there was a salsa venue close by. And I was probably in my mid-teens at this point. So I walked in without any information. I just realized what that walked in without any information. So my very first encounter with partner dancing was, was with salsa. Wow. And yes. So that was quite strange because everyone was way older than yes. I was at that moment. Yes. But I guess it was just that connection to partner dancing meant I still kept at it. I still kept going at it. 
but as you know, for, for, for a teenage boy, there's just so much competing for your time. Probably within two to three years, my, my availability um, became scarce, which then meant I was not as available to, to, to go dancing as and when, when I wanted. So then man, the salsa then took a backseat um, and to just regular, normal life. And then I guess in my, I was probably 19 or 20, Yeah, I walked to the YMCA in Wimbledon because um, I was a uni then and wanted to find a sport. And someone said, oh, you want to play table tennis? Um, basketball why don't you go to the YMCA center you know see what sports they have there because I really wanted to get back into sports and such and then I went there I couldn't find as much information but just on my way out there was a big sign that said <laughs> you don't need a partner there was there was Sorok Mordinja I do advertise I had this massive poster out yeah for partner dance and I'm like what Oh, that is okay. such a weird coincidence just to see it. It's like, I know, <laughs> it, it was. I just thought, why not? You know, let's go and do this. So on a Wednesday night, I just turned up, turned up at seven o'clock yeah. class, uh, down to begin a class, um, stayed for the night of dancing, and it just became a regular theme in our life. So um, instead of looking for a sports activity, I ended up finding dancing again. Um, I, I, that is um, I'm partner dancing again. And so that was my first um, introduction to to um, to Sorok Modin Jive. That's probably about 14 years ago, I will say. From there, Sorok Modin Jive continued to be ever-present in my life to this very day. Now, in terms of Sorok, I started teaching Sorok about eight years ago, I okay. think. Uh, yes, and the thing about Sorok is um, you have to go through the whole teaching um, assessment process. So you're literally um, camped out to do your first beginner teacher training. You essentially take, I think, two weeks or three weeks of work right yes. and you go five day, five to six days a week every day for eight to nine hours wow that's a lot you know prompting and training exactly so you literally it's, it's, it's your whole holiday for a year yeah. <laughs> so i remember <laughs> so i'd done that for the beginners and then of course i returned three months later for um, the intermediate and the advanced um, um, teacher training about two years into Ciroc, i discovered west coast swing Oh, yes. And that was when West Coast Swing was really popular. It was out there. So everyone was doing it. I met a girl yeah. about around the same time. And we started going to historic events together. And I introduced her to West Coast Swing. We went to two classes, went to the third. And on the third one, she goes like, I want to take you to this other dance I do. Okay. And I'm like, okay, that's quite random. <laughs> you, you're thinking then, oh, it might be, you know, similar or something. <laughs> exactly. So she takes me to Brazilian Zouk. Oh, and wow. I despised it. Yes, I despised it the very first day. Uh, did you? And <laughs> yes, I didn't like it because I went, I'm like, no, these people can hardly dance. And because I think I am very, oh, I'm very strict with musicality and dancing. And I could not see a lot of musicality with most of the leads. So, of course, I could not tell her. This is a girl I had just met that I was very much into. So yeah. I kept <laughs> all the details in my, in my head. You're going, I love and, it. I love um, it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I just went like, oh yeah, brilliant night, brilliant night. <laughs> and then the next week she goes like, let's go again. I'm like, oh God, here we go again. Oh no. <laughs> so I went for the second week and um, when I got there, it looked like all the best dancers in Zouk London, Brazilian Zouk London had descended oh, wow. um, 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 on that dance night. And for me, it was like two completely different dancers um, comparing those, those two weeks because the first week, very, I'm guessing most of them were beginner level yes. or just about improver level sort of dancers. So that did not give me a clearer picture of what the dance truly is. And having returned um, um, subsequently, so the subsequent week, I was very, very impressed with the level. <laughs> I stood agape, literally mouth, mouth agape, just staring at everyone. And I decided, okay, I think the decision has been made now. This is what I'm going to have to do. That probably helps to solidify what you were thinking. Because obviously you had no idea before you were going, oh, this is, this is going to be absolute, you know, pants when I go along the second time. And then you go, what, what? <laughs> completely different. <laughs> it was completely different. I, oh, it's just because most of the various teachers in London and other parts of Europe had come for an event in London that day. Yes. So they all showed up to that event after they had finished your day and your day activities and such. 
And the level was astounding. Their level of musicality, their connection with, with, with the music, the flow nature of Brazilian Zouk. It was, it was just phenomenal. So I just decided this is a thing for me. But then subsequently, um, um, there was a bit of a tight spot because I still loved Ciroc. I still wanted to do West Coast Swing and I wanted to do Brazilian Zouk as well. But that meant something had to give. Yes. Yeah. And um, my closest um, West Coast Swings venue was around Petswood, I think it's in Kent. And that meant that was a bit further out. Yes. So I decided, okay, you know, after a few months later, I'm like, okay, I had to sacrifice one. So that happened um, to the Western Swing. So I concentrated on Ciroc, became a Ciroc teacher, concentrated on Zouk profoundly, and then yeah. became a Brazilian Zouk teacher. Then the process of concentrating on Ciroc, they got to a point where the franchise, the owner of the franchise, um, wanted something a little bit different because he knew about my Zouk and contemporary background. And also he knew I had done a little bit of West Coast swing so we had a talk he was like i'm thinking about something different what do you think in terms of music and like okay so what about we start a class where we can amalgamate all these three different dances yeah. into into one piece so find a way because when you look at the upper body movements you're not very different per se in terms of the big structure of it once you go into the nuances of the movements that's where you see a lot of difference so we decided to find a way to put that together i was still with the same lady who introduced me to brazilian zouk yeah so that was wonderful we just decided to sit down plan moves plan how to incorporate um, a lot of zouk into Ciroc. so the whole idea was the mother dance the motherboard of the dance was going to be Ciroc essentially but then we're going to then modify the movements to have a very zouk west coast swing concept to it so you're dancing so nonetheless but then man, the interpretation of the dance had changed somewhat in terms of the head movements the shoulder movements the response to music which beat your uh, you, you, you're traveling on so we've done that and we named it tones um oh, tones okay. just because yes uh, tones because uh, my name is, um, is is tony and the dance was supposed to have a bit of a zook accent to it yeah so hands exactly so he made it tones with a big z at the end i love that i had um, no idea that was not my idea that was david bradley's idea yeah. and i spoke against it because i'm like okay if this thing is a failure my name is, is <laughs> yeah. my name is right next to this so that oh. means that the, the failure or otherwise would be translated directly to me as a person whenever anyone sees the dance i.e oh um tony field miserable at this oh. i was like oh no don't worry so we went back and forth um, for a little bit and decided okay why not let's let's keep it and we started this now um tones um in the world of sort of modern jive it's one of those i like to call it, it's like a subculture yes yeah. that that came to exist within the space but we marketed it and conceptualized it on the back of advanced dancers. Okay. So in its own way, it's unintended, but it was a little bit exclusionary because we wanted it to be the upper echelon of dancers. So if someone came to Tones, for instance, be it for a class or a dance, they knew there's going to be a certain level they would have to they would have to attain as dancers or they would have to be to enjoy to enjoy a dance night coming to town so and it was not exclusionary by design it was it was exclusionary based on the conceptualization and the implementation of a dance night because we went it's, it's like every business you want as many people to come and and be a part of it because that's the only way you make money oh yeah 100%. however Exactly. But however, as the classes went through, as people came to witness um, 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 the dance nights, everyone realized that the standard was way higher than your usual sort of modern giant night. And as such, you'd then realize the people who came, people traveled far and wide just to come on a Sunday night for a class and a dance so you could have people from different parts of england and that meant people actually made plans to to, to make themselves available so that is the is the history of um, tones now at the moment we saw we have a tones night it's uh, the north pole in i think it's next to greenwich not far from the greenwich um station we do it once a month which was a plan so we still have tones at regular 
weekenders. So usually Sorok has Congress weekenders where you have 1,500 to 2,000 people meet at the Pontins venue in Camber or um, Burnham, near Burnham and Sea um, um, in the Devon area yes, or um, Southport um, near Liverpool. And literally about close to 2,000 dancers. Wow. Massive halls and people just dance essentially so um, on any of these occasions I teach tones and play tones type of DJ sets my accent onto like the dance ladder per se also came with DJing because I think DJing goes hand in hand if you're interested in music um, it goes hand in hand with 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 the dance style so yes. I started DJing at Zoom events and also DJing at Sork events um, at Sork events I either played a regular Sork 9 or a Silk which is a, a bit more low tempo um, Syrup music or of course um, tones which is what we put together but playing tones music came with a little bit of variation because of the beats we were emphasizing also as a child I was a bit of a romantic writing poetry was was almost second nature um, reading them back now it was atrocious <laughs> it just I should have been prosecuted <laughs> I should have been prosecuted and I arrested you know <laughs> because those poems bloody was it it crimes was, against I, rhymes yeah <laughs> it, it was definitely crimes against humanity yeah <laughs> for anyone who read that but at that age I, I i was happy i was not discouraged to stop so i got very deep into poetry probably from age seven or eight okay and it continued for a really long time but as you grow up as a person you then identify subcultures you can relate to yes and i found spoken word i loved um hip-hop music nonetheless but spoken word was different sort of poetry it's that sort of poetry that is recited to express an emotion in such a way that you could feel the anger or the love or the joy from someone's voice as they recited a poem to you 100 percent. So I, I know that exactly, exactly. Exactly. So I tilted towards the spoken word um, side of poetry because to me it made more sense. I didn't, and the thing about spoken word is you don't have people read other people's poetry. It's really no. weird. Yeah. Because, yeah, because I could go and read Dylan Thomas whenever I want, you know, and it makes sense to me. And I love um, this, um, reading Dylan Thomas poems, you know. One of my favorites is, is Dylan Thomas. Exactly. So, so what well, I do not go quietly into that good night. Oh, such you a know? good. Just exactly. But it's, it's wonderful. It's good for everyone to read. Yes. But if it was spoken word, it would be a bit different because he he recites or he writes and recites it with a certain level of passion that can be traced to to an individual you know that sort of uniqueness that only one person can express yeah so spoken word would not have worked in the same regard so i think that's the reason i like spoken word because it's very individualized I suppose it gives you yeah. a way to express your feeling because obviously with with the tones dancing with your own style of dancing yes you can express it visually but you can't really say what you want to say whereas with expressive words you can you can say exactly what's on your mind yes yes so i've still been writing um, spoken word poetry i'm um, going back to the poetry cafe in london um, at covent garden hopefully now um, in terms of real life um, i finished university i went to work with coral racing um, immediately after university i stayed there for about almost 10 years and i got to a point i thought wow i've always wanted to do something different so i decided to go back to university so i went to do my um, master's degree in finance and I continued to do a master's degree in research which is what we call um, an MRES yeah. and after that um, I applied to do a PhD. I think for me a PhD is more so being consistent and deciding choosing a course of action and being consistent irrespective of what happens because I do not think because you're doing your own research you know you align your research to your capabilities Do you know what I love? The fact that you said um, I wanted something completely different to what everyone else does but the fact that you yeah. do tones and souk dancing is completely different to what everybody else does as it is. <laughs> and the thing that you wanted to do that was different is actually what most people do. That, I that love is that. very true, isn't yeah. it? That is, <laughs> that is very true. Yes. yes Going yes. back to when you spoke about um, doing the weekenders and doing tones at the weekenders, how does it stand with seeing so many people, like 2,000, 3,000 people doing tones? Well, how do you feel? 
I guess usually there's so much, I've actually never said this to anybody, but before okay. any tones event, there's so much anxiety. Really? You know, like I'm filled with so much anxiety, especially a few hours before. Now, the reason being because you're always anxious of people going to show up or not. Yes. And you see your mood slowly get better as people walk through the door and the numbers increase and so on and so forth so i never had the opportunity to be egotistical about it okay because yeah. i was always anxious <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as that as soon as they arrive you're like oh, yeah that, that's fine i'm just gonna focus on something exactly. else <laughs> so immediately you have you have like a packed room that all you can think about okay let me just concentrate on the music right now let me let me just concentrate on the music now oh, and it's like a roller coaster and then the next the next week you do it again or if it's every fortnightly like it is sometimes then the next fortnight you do it again or the next month you do it again <laughs> so it's like a constant roller, um, roller coaster of emotions yes that idea that people actually want to do tones something we didn't see in that light when we were when we started or concepted the idea we just wanted to change things up a little bit you know shake up the the, the status quo that's all we we're planning on doing we didn't think it was going to be linked as or is, it was going to be perceived as a subculture within the modern joy fraternity so for me it fills me with joy more so than anything else that people are willing to challenge themselves yeah it, sh it really should i've seen um, a few videos of yourself dancing and I, I know i shouldn't do it because with the sequence not required show i don't know anything about the world of dance and it's meant to be you guys teaching me you guys as guests are meant to be teaching me about the world of social dancing and you know how the moves kind of flow and is you know is it more strict or is it more fluent and uh, yeah having watched the the videos oh my god i love it it's got such a romantic kind of almost sexy feel to it it flows more than most dances that i've seen yes that that was the background i think that was because when you when you look at music the sort um, type of music went with um big beats that can be translated into body movements yes so you have your step back you step in your turn your return so it's, it's it's almost for want of a better phrase without sounding condescending it could appear a little robotic sometimes when i've seen uh, exactly. a few of the videos i've seen it does not seem robotic at all there was a, a video i saw of a it was a lady and a man who had um it was just a really generic kind of pop song they'd done but the dance exactly. style they put to it was so mm -hmm. clever like all the different moves it was there was a bit of almost ballroom ballet in there mixed with um exactly sort of 50s a bit of in there. and it worked so well and people were clapping and cheering and everything and just from watching that one sort of two minute video i think it was it just mm -hmm. put so much light onto the the genre itself no because i think that's there's a whole idea because we're able to contextualize it in terms of um recent music so yes, yeah rock has always been expressed to recent music so if i go and i'm djing at a sort event say this week um the music most often than not would not would have very very few songs from 10 years ago yes so it then means that the relevance of the dance or the essence of the dance keeps it's sort of self-updating so it's not like someone sits in a corner and says we're going to be updating this rock dance or this sort of modern jive dance and we're going to skew it to the left by 10% this year and then skew it to the right <laughs> by 20% next year. It just evolves as this natural evolution to music. Um, because when I started 14, 15 years ago, the way it was dance has slowly changed as the music has also changed. And the way of the dance has also changed as the dance interacts with other forms of dancing. Yeah. Because these days people have access to way more dances than we did because YouTube is it's, it's just so YouTube and social media is so available. It's literally an extension to our, our anatomy these days. It really is. Which then means that people have now found ways of interpreting and expressing themselves definitely. in Ciroc through the lens of different dances. Yes, most definitely. So it then means that Ciroc has still stayed relevant. And I think that is what has kept Ciroc going because it's almost self-updated in its own way. So Tones, the, the little tagline for it from what I can see on the web, Website that I've seen uh, was funky, expressive, chilled out freestyle. Am I correct mm -hmm. with that? <laughs> yes, yes. So it's 
it's taking all of those elements of new music and I suppose old, old music as well, just as, as much as you want from most genres and yes. use that expression of your feelings and put it to whatever the music is, whether it be old or new. Precisely. So um, with tones, because tones was expression to music. Okay. So it's that type of thing where, or that type of dance where music was king. Yes. Yeah. So it's not so much as when you were dancing to rock or you were dancing West Coast Swing or you were dancing um, um, Brazilian Zouk. It was that the music was playing and you're trying to express yourself in any of these threes as the music dictates. Yeah, feeling the music. Exactly. So the music was always king where you're expressing yourself to the music more so than I know move A, B, C, D and I'm going to do it in this order. Tones were slightly different where it just gave people a little bit more time. Yes. So yeah. that meant that as a sub dance was slower and allowed people to travel with the music and express themselves to the music. Speaking of feeling the music, um, I know you do something similar to, is it impromptu dancing, something to do with bandstands? Yes, in the summer. I was always at Regent Park. Yes. And the bandstand at Regent Park uh, in London was always, always available. It was always there. <laughs> and you see so many people sat on the grass next to the lake. Yeah. And I used to go there about three to four times a week. And after several weeks, I started wondering. People were clattering in, in several, several numbers. But yet there was no dancing happening whatsoever because everyone was a little scared of, of, of the regulations. So I, I put word out to see if I could get a few people come and dance on set days um, on the bandstand. And I was, I was, I was shockingly surprised at the number of people who responded. Oh, really? I thought I was going to have maybe two or three people. Yeah. Um, because it just showed how much deprived we were um, um, of, of dancing. Because if you've been dancing for several years, if dancing was the embodiment of your being over a long period of time, and all of a sudden, you could not do one of the most important things, uh, well, one of the most important activities you like to indulge in. Yes. Yeah. Then it becomes it, it becomes it becomes almost sad to a respect and almost depriving to a, to to an extent. And I guess this was the reason why there was so much support um, for these um, pop up events. So as and when we we saw um, good weather was predicted, um, we organised um, um, dancing, and sometimes we would get. 30 to 40 people and that's not anything I thought I was going to have four or five come have a dance in the bandstand have a chat afterwards sit on the grass it surpassed my expectations so to speak yeah. so we've been doing we've been doing proper Brazilian Zouk dances but the success of that has also led to um, um, people contact me about details. How do I do this? How do I keep it in, in line with regulation? So I've had people from West Coast Swing send me messages because they want to organize West Coast Swing really? outdoor dancing events as well. And I had people from Bachata and Salsa also contact me for the same purpose. And now there's actually competition for the bandstand. <laughs> <laughs> the bandstand that was always bare. It's now, you know, you have the Thriving. organizers reaching out to each other. Um, which day are you doing your event? Because I want to do my event this week. So yeah. now there's competition. There's so much competition for the bandstand in Hyde Park or Regent <laughs> Park just because um, outdoor dancing has now become the go-to uh, um, to sort of pacify that strong zeal and feeling we have um, that has been caused or necessitated by the regulation and the lack thereof of dancing. Yeah, well, people have been yeah, starved, so. starved of their creative exactly. flow. So they're, now they're just eating it yes. all up whenever they can get it. And exactly. <laughs> now, yeah, exactly. So whenever there's good weather, most of the band stands in Central London are taken by various dance styles. So. I must admit, I did, I did watch one video of the bandstands impromptu dancing and it's incredible seeing people just kind of get together outside just feeling that that what you know music and seeing all of the passers-by looking all and just random people just dancing you know you never see that anywhere it's, it's sort of you see the number of people who stop in your tracks because of course it's a park yeah. so you have lots of people walk past and people just take out their phones to video because it's not something you see very often. Yeah. It's a rare, it's, it's, it's a, it's a rare occurrence. It's sort of a world that does not exist within the immediate reality. 
But it's good to see it coming back. People need to get back onto this. Yeah, because we don't, that's true. We don't go into, into town halls and clubs to, to dance, which is, which is sort of hidden away from everybody else. Yeah, it's in the Whereas now it's very much in your face. And, and a number of, um, so every single night, every time we have, I've got close to 15 to between 10 and 15 new Facebook requests. Wow. Because people want information to come and join. So going back to, I know you mentioned about poetry and um, performing the poetry at the places in London, but I know you've performed poetry at Weekenders. Am I correct? Yes, I have. All I did, I did an easy job of hosting it. Yeah. <laughs> where where everyone else came to came to share um, their, their, their poetry. Now, what we did was it was not that sort of event where you had to have written the poetry yourself because that's the joy of poetry you know poetry is whichever way you enjoy it so if you enjoy by writing it then so be it and i believe the ability to read poetry to make it sound like poetry is an art form on its own so people also came over to to read your favorite poetry so it made a very, very inclusive um, 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 sort of event. So I read a few poetry um, um, to, you know, to do the usual beginning, middle and end yeah. um, aspect <laughs> of the event. And then everyone else shared in between. And it was fantastic that people who would never read poetry out loud. Yeah. And after the first, the second, the third person went, everyone wanted to read. And That's I thought that was very, very fascinating. It was not something we didn't sort of, ex we didn't expect that response whatsoever. <laughs> Again, the beginning of the event, I was so nervous about it. Like the usual anxiety feeling sort of kicks in and you're not really sure how, how it's going to go down, but it went down quite well. How does it stand for beginners? Like, do you, what would you say to beginners um, if they want to express themselves and find it difficult in terms of dancing? In terms of dancing, I think this is where I wear my teacher cap. Now, I, I always tell my beginner students, it's not so much where you are now and it's so much where you want to be. So if you see the beautiful video of that couple that are amazing in every um, in every stride they take yes. um, on the dance floor, it's because they put in a lot of hard work and sweat and tears to get to that point. So what I usually tell beginners, it's not about what you're doing now or where you're located on that dance, the dance ladder, the dance journey, the ladder of the dance journey at the moment is where you aspire to be. So as far as you're willing to put in the work, I have seen very horrible beginner dancers become superstars over the years as it is. So I always tell my beginners, everything is possible within, within dancing in terms of the growth, every yeah. sort of growth is possible as far as give it the time now the other part of it is dancers are exhibitionists <laughs> you know they like to exhibit they like to be seen the beginner dancer sees that and they're very attracted to that attention that the big named teachers or dancers would would get and what I say to them is that for me is irrelevant. What is important is taking your time to get to that point. If you rush through it, once you get to that point, your inability would, would be revealed and put to the fore for everyone to see. It would, it would happen. Once you take your time and allow yourself to grow over a period of time without forcing it, everything falls into place. I've seen people take it slow and just put in the work and the time. Instead of rushing through the basics, they're trying to understand the basics, the rationale for each step, follow for each step, how you react to different types of music to each step. And that would have then meant they've taken longer than the traditional person yes. would um, um, for, for, for the beginner's journey. But by the time they get to the intermediate level, you way better your head and shoulder above the person that rushed through it but once you get the fundamentals everything falls into place whereas if you rush through it you call yourself an advanced dancer and there's still so many things you're unable to express or understand because you missed a very fundamental step so what i always tell people just take your time through it it's a journey take your time through it you would eventually get to that point. Now, one of the things I also wanted to talk about as well is that my producer and I are very interested about the fact that you're going to bring us some African tracks as well, um, as well as all of the other kind of like Zook inspired or Tones inspired music that are all in your playlist from yes. your entire back catalogue of uh, genres. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit more about the, the African tracks that you've got for us? Um, 
I I grew up. Gosh, I remember being about three or four years old, and most yeah. of my because people people are unable to remember things when they're three years old. But the reason why I remember them was because of the music I was playing at home. Yeah, and I remember growing up to Yvonne Chaka Chaka. This is like a South African musician, and I was so enamored with her music um, um, as a child. And it's sort of African pop-ish type of music. So um, Africa, di- different places in Africa have like different genres of music, and they they spice this up with whatever type of pop music was available in the um, early nineties and mid nineties, and so on and so forth. So the Ghanaians, for instance had their high life and then they mix a little bit of hip-hop or pop music to it quite recently and they call that hip life but the nice. background was high life exactly so you have you have um you had the same variation to to music in in zaire congo or or in south africa or, or Cote d'ivoire you know they had because you know, I remember growing up and listening to Mei Wei um, from Côte d'Ivoire, listening to even Chaka Chaka. But one of the persons or one of the musicians who resonated with me so much yes. was Salif Keita, and he's he from Mali. Salif Keita is an albino musician and from Mali, and his voice and you actually hear the Sahel type of music from 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 West Africa. You can literally hear it. Yeah. And for me, it's like I don't know if you hear a soundtrack when you when you watch, say, maybe a CNN documentary or a movie where there's a you know very dirty Land Rover driving through the Sahel um, part of say Mali or or Niger, and there's always this music in the background. Yeah, you know, yeah. with a very very strong voice. Now that for me was Salif Keita. So every really? time I think about Salif Keita, I think about <laughs> taking a road trip. <laughs> so, so Salif Keita, his music is so beautiful. And um, he spent most of his time in France because, of course, he's, he's um, Francophone and um, West African. Yeah. So you can feel the African context a lot. And you can also feel the little variation or the French influences or the pop music influences in that. And then there was, you, you sit now, he's, um, you see, you sit indoor. I can never say his name. He's from Senegal and he was very similar to Salif Keita in terms of his expression to music. And that for me was really brilliant. But, um, being of Ghanaian heritage, um, there were loads of Ghanaian musicians. Um, one of them was Aman Zibba. Now, the reason why he stands out is because, um, the name of Manzitba is the same tribe as my mother is. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And he was a very popular highlight musician who transcended into something very African, very traditional, but still very poppy. And he was quite successful at that. So he also stood out um, um, for me growing up. And till now, I, I don't know. As Whenever I'm seeking intellectualization in music, you know, something a little bit more original, something unique that the whole world does not listen to. Yes, yeah. Um, I resort to these type of musicians, Angelina Cujo, um, even Chaka Chaka, um, Sadiq Keita, Yusuf Indoor, Papa Wemba. So these were um, Amanzaba, Nakorex, um, and the lot. These were all people who I grew up with. And that's the funny thing. Africa is the second largest continent in the world. And the diversity is immense. But to grow up, you know, listening to music from different parts of, of the continent, for me, was, was very, very immense. <laughs> and if you go through my playlist, I still have these songs that that I listened to whilst I was a child. I literally have them in one playlist. Yeah, I've listened to because, the entire playlist. I yeah, love it. Yeah, because because of the relevance of the music and also the originality. It just does not sound like anything else we hear growing up in the UK or I'm guessing the Americans or the the, um, the, the South American world. It's just very, very different. And it's still melodious. It's still, you could dance to it. You know, you could listen to it. You could groove to it in a car. You could drive and listen into it it just it's, it's sort of all-purpose sort of music so that for me is, is where my love for afropop as we call it comes from i always find a lot of um as, as you've just said afropop i always find a lot of it's very upbeat it's dancey it's it's got a big happy vibe there and it's so powerful at the same time yeah i i, I feel is because well i'm probably going to say something i do not know very much about <laughs> however i feel is because artists then or in that context we're not thinking so much as in i need to 
put out this image. I need to get a song written for me by that songwriter. Yeah. Now it's just people literally expressing themselves, yeah. which brought in a semblance of, introduced a semblance of originality. You could actually feel their essence through their music. Whereas now it's very much more how much sales you want to make, which of the Billboard 100, um, what, which position are you going to language on the Billboard 100, yeah. so on and so forth. That is what people are more, or musicians are more interested in. Whereas then it was just people putting out good music. And I would not be surprised if some of the musicians on this list are hidden away in some very quiet country, which which would be a shame. Nonetheless, the purity of the music is, for me personally, is way better than most of what I'm hearing recently because now I have so many songwriters. You have people chasing Billboard 100 positions. You have people chasing streams. You have people chasing money. So the essence of music is not then tailored towards what they want to put out. Yeah, so much what I think I want people to hear. People need something more traditional and more unique now. Over lockdown periods and that, there was a lot of indie artists bringing new music out, and that was absolutely fantastic. I was having a whirlwind of a time. All of these guys would never have seen the light of day before with a lot of Billboard charts in normal times. That is so true. Um, I remember, I think 2005, 2006, probably the height of indie music when I was growing up. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, because we had all these British bands that were coming out, an American band who were sort of soft rock-ish type of music, yeah. but um, the Arctic Monkeys type music style. Yes. And these were not the norm at that point, where you had boys put out a song, the, the relevance was not to look tough or to look sexy, it was more so to look quirky. Yep, yep. And that I loved that because I thought that was original expression. Well, I can't wait for everyone to hear these tracks throughout the show. Obviously, they've been hearing tracks throughout the show. Hopefully, get introduced to more of your Zook dancing and uh, tones dancing <laughs> in the in well, the near fingers future. Crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> I actually had um, a girl, a Ghanaian girl, reach out to me a few weeks ago. Yes, because she had released a song, and in launching the song, she needed someone to write a spoken word piece for her introduction oh, to wow. be outdoored, essentially. So there's this massive event where she was doing the whole um, album release event. For me, it was really strange because that was my very first experience where someone had asked me for something like that. Yeah. So I, I had to write and recite it. And then her sound engineers could put like the instrumentals of one of her songs to it so that they could use that to introduce her as she came to do her song. And it was quite a surreal moment, you know. The music expression and the beat system is also more traditional to them than our usual, very arranged um, sort of R&B music. She's called Ama Petal and the song is Darker Vibes. And the funny thing about writing spoken word too yeah. is that I can go three months and write nothing. Yep. If I say three months, it's not as in three months of me just waiting for inspiration. Now, I mean like three months of trying to write. Yes, I know the feeling. <laughs> you write nothing. <laughs> and then and then you give me 20 minutes. And then I write one of the best pieces I've ever written. That's, that's what usually happens to me. Yep. So give me 20 minutes and I'm writing so much. And another time I wait six months and nothing happens. That's the, I think that's the thing about <laughs> writing. That's being a creative is definitely having that happen because I have the same thing happen when I write. I, I do the yeah. same thing. I'll write a t like a couple of chapters and I'm like, brilliant. This is yeah, it's cracking through it. And then not so much lose inspiration, but you have that writer's block um, or creative yes. block. And it's so frustrating because you want to work. You're sitting there with a blank piece of paper going, let me just write some words down. But it's it's just not mm -hmm. coming to you. <laughs> it just doesn't. No. Yeah. But you get the concept and all of a sudden you cannot stop writing that's it yeah like something will just spark yeah. that imagination maybe you're out on a walk one day and something happens mm -hmm. it just it flourishes um i remember one of the pieces i wrote um, if you have time for me to read it um, oh yes yeah 100%. was yeah I, now the reason why this was quite unique was because um one of my past relationships probably the one that got to me very much was yes. um was with my ex-girlfriend um, and she was from japan and she comes from the kyoto sort of area and you know what you i was watching a documentary about speed trains and you know how quickly they travel and so on and so forth yeah. in japan i was i've been i've been trying to write something completely different for several weeks and nothing was happening but just this documentary just listening to this documentary just brought so much into my head really? <laughs> the same time just the fact that we're talking about trains and you know 
in London, we have this almost romantic relationship with our tubes and our trains and so on and so forth. And listening to the Japanese speed trains and how all the trains are always on time. That alone just inspired me to write something. <laughs> There's a whole uncertainty, the unpredictability of, of writing. Isn't it? I mean, it's definitely <laughs> unpredictable for both writing and for trains, to be fair. <laughs> Over yeah. here it is anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it's always it's, it's usually it's, nothing yes. comes and then all, all three come at once like the same with buses would you like to read some of your poetry to us yes yes I could do that whenever you're ready yes. I am ready I'm ready I'm ready for you to flow away with your right. with your poetry so this one um, let's start with this one um, the reason um, I'm starting with this one because of of course I just meant I just told you the circumstances under which I wrote it so I called it London to Kyoto yes as strange as it might sound okay Someone get me on a train from London to Kyoto. I can explain I am smitten. I saw her in a photo. It's a fixation I know, an obsession does it show. I glow deep in my depths below. It's been long ago, however, Miss Flo got me on a row so we can glow together. In my thoughts, I am in deep space, longing for her embrace with a face like hers. She thorns grace, my home, my happy place. It is the onset of a journey, the beginning, the raging of passion, the bursting, the outpouring of feeling, descending, exploding in my being, eclipsing my judgment. I am on a high, I am floating, I take flights to heights, unprecedented, my love portion, a concoction she fed me, I drank deep between her thighs, my soul echoed my cries, I am on standby for my next fix. It is raw, it's painful, stressful, I hate it, I need it, I debate it, in my sanity I forbade it, in my vulnerability I give into it. Please, please, someone, someone get me on a train from London to Kyoto, I can explain, I am smitten, I saw her in a photo. Thank you very much, that's, that, that's London to Kyoto. That is amazing. Oh Thank my you. God, I love that. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much for performing it on the show as well. And um, the last one, I'll give you two so I don't take too much of your time. No, no, now, this fine. last one has a different context because um, I changed my name. Um, yes. um, and the circumstances around changing my name is because um, I'm Tony Sales. However, every time um, everyone hears the name Tony Sales or they hear me speak, they always expect a middle-aged white man to show through. And yes. then this, this skinny black boy shows through. Because I remember when I worked at Coral, um, I was supposed to go for a meeting and go like, I'm Tony right. Sales. And then, Manager goes like, what? I'm like, oh, Tony really? Because like, are you sure? Literally happened. I remember because no. like, the meeting was in 210 and I went to Wimbledon. And the reason being because she had heard this voice and she totally belonged to like a 45-year-old man. And then I turned really? up being about 23 years old. I then decided that I wanted a name that was representative of where I came from or what my origin or, or my heritage was. Because I thought Japanese people have Japanese names. Yeah. Um, um, Indians have Indian names. But when it comes to Caribbeans and some Africans, you'd see a four-barrel English name. And it does not give you an idea of the person's heritage or where the person is from. And a name like Tony Sales does not tell you anything <laughs> about what my heritage is. So I decided to go with my mother's maiden name, which Beautiful. is Gazy. Yeah. And also, um, usually traditional, once you're born, your grandparents give you a name. It's not official or anything. It's just their own like little name they call you. So I took the one my my grandfather gave me, which is Kwisi Nana Bayan. It hasn't got any deep meaning to it. It means I was Kwisi means I am a male born on a Sunday. Literally. Oh it. really? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And Nana Bayan is more like a respectable older man. No wonder they thought I was forty five years old. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like a respectable older man or a wise man of a sort. So the compound first name is Chrissy Nanabin and the last name is Gazy. So whilst I was writing this, this was sort of the inspiration behind this. This is slightly longer than, than the previous one. And also at the same time, because I was driving my heritage from from my mother, so to speak. So this is um, where this poem was inspired from. Yeah. And I called it My Name. Okay. So it starts... I can hear the dun-dun drums. They speak to me, they whisper. Why has the son veered so far from his mother? 
while one so revered is now jeered and snared at by the takers, she is broken-hearted, she is neared the end. If only we could go back to the days when she was cheered. In the quiet of night, speak words in the language of your ancestors, so your mother shall hear you. She cries for her son who no longer hears her voice. She cries for her son who never learned his tongue, her prayers. Her fears and tears are for her sons who no longer know their sons. Sons who straighten their hair or shave it short, just so they can be short changed to be part of a court. It is to hide your ugliness, they are told, they contort and distort the truth. They extort your being, your hair is your fort, your cultural line of defense, your port, your store of heritage. In the quiet of night, listen, and you would hear your mother. She cries, my son, stand tall with your long coily locks. For so long have you long since refused to fit in a box you do not belong. Your heart sings songs of wrongs that have befallen your part. Still you rise, your resilience only makes you strong. Aim to reclaim your name without shame, Sankofa, we are changing. I hear their tumpan drums, the drums of singing, dancing and rejoicing, the dancing of Atatampa, the dance to celebrate Roli Lala Mandela before those Nelson, they celebrate Jambo Kenyatta, Kwame Nkrumah, Kamboranji Nyerere before those Julius. Learn from these sons, your brother who has stayed true to the mother. They will rather be perceived as the other than to go any farther and be known as another. I hear the sound of the phantom from drums reaching out to tell me where I am from this time as I come, as I become a son again, Sankofa, the rule of thumb. I am the son of my mother. I am the son of Nana Nkran Otodu Ison, Nana Nkran the seventh. I am Kwesi Nana Bayan Gaisi. Thank you very much. My name. That is absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. There's Thank so you. many thoughts much. and creative moments in that. Yeah, it must have taken you ages to write. Yeah, this is probably the longest I had because I had to relate it to different concepts. And so to begin with musically, I taught because one thing that's very significantly African for most people is is drums. Yes. So I took three different drums to express it. So they have the dun-dun drums and then they have the tumpan drums. So the dun-dun drums are like talking sort of drums. And then they are tumpan drums to celebrate. And then the phantom from drums is like drums of royalty so they're massive drums they are over six foot tall so the person who literally plays the drums has to stand on a ladder of massive and platform to to be able to play the drums so really? um that was yeah that was a context of it so it was more my mother and as such and i also realized because some things we do not seem to realize how people change their names um, um just to fit in so like and I, that's why I put Roli Lala Mandela because that was his name. Nelson was easier to pronounce. Oh, really? So Good everyone choice. said Nelson Mandela instead of Roli Lala Mandela. I have no and idea. And then you have, exactly. And then you have the president of, I think, Tanzania, former president of Tanzania. He is um, Kamboranji Nyerere, but through his education and everything, he was given Julius because Julius on one hand and Kamboranji on the other hand, one is easier to pronounce um, depending on who you're speaking to. So, he was never known as Kamboranji Nyerere. He was known as Julius Nyerere. People also always sort of forget the relationship Africans have to their hair. I'm guessing it's something the Vikings sort of can relate to, where your hair sort of told your heritage or your tribe or your background, where you came from, whether you're an upper class or a lower class, you know, whether you were a slave um, captured in war or you're an aristocrat. The hairstyle said so much. And, and if you go to places like Niger, um, they have beauty contests for men so that women can pick their choice of the man. So it's the other way around where the women um, pick men and the men <laughs> dress up to be picked by the women. And you see these men do their hair and wear these colorful, very bright makeup and do these intricate um, feet, um, dances for the ladies to be chosen. And it just tells you where this heritage is from. And I feel like now it's so much as and everyone is wanting to fit in. I think my long hair has been a bit of a rebellion than it is anything. 
anything else. <laughs> you know, I think that's my only form of rebellion to say, this is my hair and I do not want to shave it just so that's palatable for anybody. Yeah, it's so where you come I, from as well. Exactly. Exactly. So I decided, you know what, this is going to be the only way I could express to people yes. and, and keep it, keep it subtle without, you know, without shoving my ideas into anyone's face, <laughs> but nonetheless, stay, stay, stay very original to myself. So you'd only speak about it if someone asked you about it. They didn't ask you about it. Usually no one really cares. But if someone goes, Oh, you know, your hair, oh, you've got long hair, or your braids, who's your hairdresser? So on and so forth. Yes. And then it gets into, into, into a conversation. You got red locks and then it gets into a conversation so that is where this particular spoken word um, piece came from it's beautiful there's a moment in there as well that i found um really touching as well you know when you mentioned about your mother and there was a yes. couple of lines that your mother says were they words your mother did actually say to you yes it was that type of thing uh, where um because my father was more as a because you know, for the usual African child, um, Africans have become quite religious these days yes. than the people who actually introduced the religion to them. And so my, my father is more the religious type, very conservative, look like this, look like that. Whereas my mom was very, very different. You know, my mom wanted me to be expressive. Right. And funny enough, my father, my father was the drummer and the musician of the family. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was expressive. He grew, I know, but to think that he grew up into this boring man yes. was what yes. was, was, was rather strange. <laughs> and my mom, that was not, became more the expressive one. So <laughs> my mother never had any problem with my hair or how it looked or anything like that. I had to word it in such a way that it made sense in the context of the poem. So you realize that for the mother part, there were two things. One was where she goes like um, sons who straighten their hair or shave it short just so they can be short changed to be part of a court. It is to hide your ugliness. They are told they contort and distort the truth. They extort your being. Your hair is your fort, your cultural line of defense, your port, your store of heritage. That for me was very, very fundamental. The second bit was just how long it was where she goes, um, my son stand tall with your long coily locks for so long have you long sins refuse to fit in a box you do not belong your heart sings songs of wrongs that have befallen your part still you rise your resilience only makes you strong so i had to find ways to paraphrase it yes yeah. and so I, so I could get a rhyme to sound right in the context of spoken word i always had a very very close um, i have a very very close relationship with my mother and she's that kind of literally just say everything I'm feeling to her. And she doesn't <laughs> judge, you know, she doesn't judge at all. So she's that sort of person who is very open-minded because believe it or not, in as much as I'm wearing my hair or wearing my identity, it's not always very palatable for everyone. Even if you went to Ghana, so take the UK out of it. If you went to Ghana, people are very conservative. So yes. the kind of things I could get away with in the UK, I couldn't get away with believe it or not i i can, so just I can tells, believe it he said just tells you how conservative even the Ghanaian society is we think we're conservative now they are very very conservative <laughs> you know you go a month without shaving or going to the um going to the barber you're like why is your hair so long it's not my hair is under an inch long <laughs> how is that long but that just shows you how proper they are you know and then i then decide to rebel I'm like now i'm really going there yeah. You know, so I guess that is where the inspiration from this comes from. And it's not just, it's like in every society, there's always this feeling of removing self-expression and self-identity yes, and more emphasizing is. group identity. I think group identity is very good, don't get me wrong, but I just don't want us to lose our self-identity. It needs to be more expressive, more personal and unique and more poignant, which both the hair and that poem does. By the way, has your mum heard that poem? No, she hasn't heard it yet. Are you going so, to perform I, it to her? That, that is the plan. I can tell that she's going to be absolutely proud of you 100%. That was a stunning set of poetry, especially that second one with the with the heritage in there as well. And obviously you're yeah. speaking about your mum in there as well. I, I loved well, it personally, I and I'm hoping that everybody else loved it out there as well. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, the last thing I wanted to um, ask for you is where can people find out more about yourself and what you do? Um, so at the moment, um, more so Facebook and on Instagram, because yeah. I those are the two places that um, I'm active on but believe it or not I did not have an Instagram account 
until towards the end of last year. <laughs> so, so I'm still very new to Instagram, but I'm very active on Facebook. So on Facebook, you're looking for Tony Sales. That's T-O-N-I. And the sales is like the sales of a boat. That's S-A-I-L-S. But on Instagram, I have my name is different, which is now my new name. So it's Quissy Nanabian Daisy. So the Quissy is K-W-E-S-I. Um, dot Nanabian is N-A-N-A-B-E-Y-I-N dot Gazy, which is G-A-I-S-I-E. So that's Quissy dot Nanabian dot Gazy. That is me on Instagram. And um, the plan is to post more poetry on Instagram. And also, because I've got so many dance videos on Facebook, I have to find <laughs> a way to transfer that to, to, to Instagram as well. And and for anyone interested in poetry, I'll be um, going back to performing at the Poetry Cafe um, at Covent Garden um, very soon. So once the available dates, and I know exactly um, or precisely which dates I am performing this book and word piece, I'd, I'd make that available on Facebook and on Instagram for anyone who wants to have a chilled um, evening and wants to come listen to some spoken word. Well, I personally love poetry. I would love to come and listen to you do it at some point. So I will definitely, definitely be there. And if I get a chance to as well, I'll pop along to some dances as well. <laughs> oh, that would be fantastic. I think you would have a ball of a time because everyone is so nice. There's, there's just so much freedom and, and, and social camaraderie between people. Because for all these years I've done dancing, I do not have any friends outside of dancing. That's how weird my life has become. Because <laughs> it's, it's this little microcosm where you end up doing so much together. Yes. So first you start by just going to dance nights together. And then you start dancing a couple of times a week. And then before you realize you're going to each other's birthdays, <laughs> you know, you're going to each other's dinner parties. And within a couple of years, because it's like a circle of people, there's several. So on a regular night at Pimlico, for instance, Tim Sands is teaching close to 200 people yeah. at, the, at the Pimlico Academy. So if it's 200 people, it's like, as you mean, you ha only have like 10 social friends within, within that group. You can imagine how many activities in a year you would you would attend I can weddings, imagine. you know, showers, you name it. So it's over ten years or fifteen years period. You then realize that your whole life is is, is surrounded by by dancers. And that is quite <laughs> weird because everyone is really really nice. Everyone is particularly welcoming, and so for me, I guess that was a catalyst for staying around. You know, in spite of the fact that I enjoy dancing, because you could enjoy dancing and have an environment that does not enable you as a dancer, both growth um, and, and mentally or, or dance-wise. And I just found that most of the dance environments have been, be it Zouk, West Coast Swing or North Rock, have been growth-enabling. And that, for me, is one of the major reasons why I've stayed in the whole macrocosm of dancing for so long yes i find that a lot of people that i speak to because funnily enough mentioning tim santana we actually did an interview with tim santana um from Sarah, oh, and okay. <laughs> he yes. was one of he was the first person we interviewed and um it's incredible finding about the um the community itself hence why i haven't really spoken to you too much about the community because we we kind of already yeah. know what it is like in Sarah. Yes, exactly yes um and it is quite a it's definitely like you said co there's camaraderie there and everybody just looks out for each other and it's so friendly and vibrant which i absolutely love how do things kind of then um, translate to with zook and with um tones is it the same kind yeah. of vibe because tones is sort of a subculture of 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 Ciroc. so yes. it has the same sort of Ciroc feel, the same people. They're just more advanced dancers, and it's not because we're unwelcoming to other dancers. Just because when other dancers come in, they find it too challenging yes. during the class, so they just wait until maybe six months later when they feel they're a little bit more comfortable. So tones is very much the same to every Ciroc night I go to. However, Zook on the other hand is slightly different, very, very friendly. But in Zook, you don't have a sort of massive hall where people come to. Zook is smaller, and the, the Zook scene is smaller. So say on a Monday night, I am teaching at Gaberto. Yeah. You know, and the space is very narrow. The place is a little dark-ish. People come for the class 
and for the dancing and there's less interaction afterwards. So okay. if you become if you become friends with somebody is because you both take interest in each other and then you become friends subsequently. Whereas Sorok is like, oh yeah, we finished dancing. Who's coming to the pub? <laughs> it's, very, it's very social. <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> that that is Sorok. And then I think the other part about Zook is because Zook also goes until usually midnight. Right. So by the time yeah. you finish, you're thinking, what's my last tube home? Yeah, you're shattered <laughs> out completely. Exactly. I have just never seen anything as social as Sorok, however. You know, Sorok is a different catch of fish. Like, <laughs> it's the peak of uh, social dancing uh, communities. It is. It's, <laughs> it certainly is. Well, thank you so much, Kwesi Nanabayan Gacy, for uh, speaking well, to us today. <laughs> or well, Tony thank you. thank you very much. Yeah, either or, I don't, I don't take offense to any to be honest so either or thank you very much it's been a pleasure i i could not have asked for a better a better a beginning of the week has gone way better than expected oh so thank, thank you. you so much it's been wonderful to spend yeah. the beginning of the week with you well same here thank you very much and to also find out so much about yourself and to hear your amazing poetry too i have to admit some of the best poetry i've heard Oh, thank you very much. That sounds so. That that, that sounds that sound so so good. I'm hearing that. I hope I did not talk for too long. Oh no, 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 no! You didn't talk for too long at all. It was a pleasure for myself, and I'm sure it was a pleasure for the listeners out there too. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much again. I I hope you have a brilliant and fantastic week ahead. Thank you. You too. Take care. Stay safe. Take care. You safe. Coming up the 12th of December, there'll be a Tones Room at the Ministry of Sound. Search for Ciroc Evolution for tickets now. Well, this has been your place to find out information about the social dancing world. Whether you're a newcomer and don't know anything about it like me, because I'm learning as we go. I don't have a clue about that world myself, but after this interview, I feel like I know quite a lot more. From me and everyone here at A1 Radio, we just love to say we love you, take care and stay safe. Now, if you've loved this episode of Sequence Not Required, catch up wherever you like to stream your podcasts. Plus, you can also listen through your smart speakers. Just say, play Sequence Not Required podcast. After the show, I'll also be putting up the catch-up show online, so check that out. Follow me on Twitter at FoxyA1. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget you can tune in next time, same place, same time. Oh, and don't forget, Sequence Not Required. Thank you.